This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Grown and The Moth are excited to partner with Graduate Hotels to celebrate storytelling across generations. Visit any of Graduate's 30-plus hotels and you'll discover storytelling is at the heart of everything they do, especially when it comes to their unique, locally-inspired interior designs. Not only has The Moth hosted a series of open-mic story slams at Graduate Hotels, but members of our staff have also had the privilege of visiting graduate hotels as guests. From Ann Arbor, Michigan to Oxford, England, our team has experienced firsthand the rich storytelling and memorable design touches that make a graduate stay so special. So the next time you're visiting a beloved college town or dropping by your alma mater, stay at graduate hotels and save up to 30% with exclusive code MOTH. Thanks again to Graduate Hotels for their generous support and their commitment to telling the unique stories of their local communities. Go book your stay now at graduatehotels.com and remember to use code MOTH for up to 30% off. The New York City subway sounds... hectic. Scraping. Rails. Scraping. Metal scraping. You can't hear what stop, what you just heard. Oh, no, 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 we're delayed from, what are you talking about? I can't hear you. Being on the subway alone and like for the first time as a young like person is just like weird and unpleasant and uh you get lost you get lost a lot you know all these letters and colors all these lines where, where are you taking me so when did you start riding the train by yourself because um, i feel like that's definitely a rite of passage as a new yorker the first time you get to take the subway by yourself i started taking the subway um when i got into this high school in a different area of new york and that was like my first time actually like traveling alone because i used to always i went to high uh, i went to middle school right behind my house so it's like oh i'm leaving this area I'm essentially not just graduating middle school but graduating into another side of my life and i got to take the train you've ever gone on the wrong train and you're already running late all the time, and that happens now with like 20 years of train experience. Not 20, I'm not that old. <laughs> 10 years of train experience and I'm still getting lost. It was like nice to like coming back like home, like I had train friends, you know, and like I had like a little community of train friends. And that was cool because then like, we were kind of like talking on the train and Friday nights and I actually look forward to like getting out of school and taking the train with like these five kids that went to my school but also lived in my area and we could just take the train together. Grown. 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 I'm Aliza. And I'm Fonzo. And this is Grown, a podcast from The Moth full of stories about what it means to grow up. In this episode, Search and Rescue, 
Stories about feeling lost and getting found. First up is Esther Massey. I was actually in the audience the night that she told this story at a really special moth education showcase. Take a listen. As a kid, I was very carefree. I didn't care what anyone thought. I would do anything that made me smile no matter what. But out of all my numerous unique traits, and trust me, I had a lot, there was one in particular that stood out. When I was a kid, I would always play these games. And when I say games, I don't mean tic-tac-toe or I spy like every other kid at that age was playing. These games were my own personal games for me and me only. Like, if I walked in a room, I could only leave if I left the way I came in. Or if I spun in a circle, I had to spin back around. And these games were so simple, but it, it satisfied this urge I couldn't quite put into words. Like, I'd be in my fifth grade dance class, and after everybody would do the spin choreography, I'd still be in the back trying to sneakily spin back around without getting scolded and labeled a delinquent in front of my entire class. It was like Simon Says. Well, if Simon Says was only played by one person, but still. Simon would follow me around during the day, giving me gentle nudges whenever he felt in the mood to play. I never thought he was inconvenient. I was always able to brush these urges to the side if I really need to. Like, Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, raise your hands. Mm, Simon says, you did that terribly and you have to do it again until you get it right. This was something that I grew up with. So I never, I just, it was so normalized in my eyes and I never saw any reason for me to scrutinize over it. Things started to change as I got older though. And I know that seventh grade is just a year that people universally never want to think about ever again. But my seventh grade was especially significant. And I mean, Simon went crazy. <laughs> he decided he was sick of these dumb children games, <laughs> grabbed me by the collar and said, let's play. These urges that were once so menial were now becoming restrictions inhibiting my everyday life. My once perfect transcript in attendance was completely and utterly shattered, barely being able to get out my door without some new rule being added. Out of the 180-day school year, 52 times, I, I chose Simon over my own education. I knew that the words Simon was spewing at me were empty threats and nonsense, but that didn't take away from the fear and the fact that I had to listen to him. And in the end, it even got to a point where I wouldn't leave my room because I didn't want to play the game anymore. Obviously, my parents started taking notice that their once very peppy and honestly overly energetic child was now quite the opposite and decided it was time to get me professionally evaluated. I was, take, I was brought to this building across town and I walked into this waiting room. The walls were white and the ceiling was, was white and the chairs were white and the carpet was definitely white at some point. Honestly, I don't want to know what happened to it. And in my head, I immediately started comparing it to what I thought isolation rooms looked like in mental hospitals. And despite it all, this is when the real panic started to set in. Why would my parents bring me here? Do they think I'm crazy? And maybe I actually am, because honestly, I don't have any other explanation. And while I was sitting in that chair, I just wanted to go home. I didn't want answers, I didn't want to know, and I didn't want to be sick. And when I was finally called into that room, um, I was like 90% sure I was about to be shoved into a straitjacket, but Instead, I was greeted with this lady who started asking me questions, you know, you don't normally ask someone within the first eight minutes of meeting them, like, hi, how are you? Do you ever have thoughts of inflicting bodily harm to yourself or others? Like, let's just like slow down for a second. 
Um, and after waves and waves of uncomfortable questions that I'd rather not get into, and like 30 minutes of waiting, I was called back into the room, sits down, she looks me in my eyes and she says, you have obsessive compulsive disorder, also known as OCD. Girl, my room is the messiest thing I've ever seen. I have papers everywhere, I have clothes everywhere. I don't even know where my homework is tonight. You're either a fraud or you pass with like low C's. Because there's just, because I'm the most disorganized person I know. The next 20 minutes were then getting spent that OCDs actually consist of two components. There's intrusive thoughts and then compulsions with, which follow, which is anything to make that thought or feeling go away. When my initial stubbornness wore off, there was a sense of relief through me. If this was something identifiable, then this meant that there had to be others out there and this meant that I could be fixed. But that small sense of relief was very short-lived and very broken by none other than the internet. Once I started going on every website and sketchy forum that I could find, looking up symptoms, and throughout all that, I could not find ones that exactly pinpointed what I experienced. So at this point, I was like, okay, this has to be some bullshit because how am I not even normal within this category of not being normal? <laughs> and <laughs> I carried that thought and a whole bundle of shame with me everywhere I went. I didn't want to tell anyone or get the help that I needed because I just wanted to pretend it didn't exist. But in the end, I only succeeded in shutting out my friends and my grades were slipping. A few months after my official diagnosis, I was walking to school with a group of my friends and this girl who was new to my school. I only knew her in some of my classes and I didn't have any more than like surface level conversations with her. So I didn't really know her that well. But I was like dozing off in my head rather than engaging in whatever seventh graders talk about at 8 a.m. When I suddenly snapped back to reality when I heard someone say the word OCD. I was so startled that I initially thought people found out about my deep, dark, and terrible secret that I instinctively asked, why are you talking about OCD? In a much harsher tone than I intended. But before any of the girls had time to figure out whether or not I was being offensive, um, the new girl stepped in and she, she told me that she had exposure therapy later for her OCD. That was a big moment for me. The rest of that day consisted of a lot of self-control, trying to contain myself from running up and shaking her and being, me too, me too, yeah, I had that too. Um, but you know, instead, I had to wait very patiently throughout my day, which I, I am not patient, okay? You have to understand that. And when the final bell rang and school was over, I was able to pull her to the side and have her be the first person I ever willingly told about my diagnosis. We were able to open up and rely on each other. And even though her OCD was very different from mine, just knowing that we weren't alone meant so much because reading a statistic online is so different from experiencing it. She helped me feel comfortable accepting the things that I couldn't control. And she pushed me to get the help that I needed. Even though it was a really long process, now I'm even at a point where I can think back and smile. And the truth of the whole matter is that there isn't a way to beat the game you just have to accept the fact that if you and Simon are going to be spending this much time together, you have to learn how to get along. Thank you. That was Esther Masse. Aliza and I were both in the audience for that story, and it was really powerful hearing it live. We ask every storyteller that appears on Grown how their younger self would describe them now. She said... My younger self would look at me now and wonder if I'm ever going to stop growing. I feel that. 
We'll have more info about Esther along with bonus content, ways to get in touch with us, and all that good stuff at themoth.org slash grown. You can also follow us on social media at grownpod. Up next, a story about an adventure in the Bronx. But first, Aliza, what was a time in your life that you felt the most lost? We're starting out strong, I see. Mm, Okay, when I was in college, I came into college thinking I had a 10-year plan. Like, I'm going to study journalism. I'm going to intern at NBC. I'm going to secure connections there. I'll be a producer, and then I'll graduate college and, you know, be a producer, and my life will be great and wonderful. And I started off my plan, and I went into college, studied journalism, first year interned at NBC, and ended that internship being like, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I don't really remember what exactly was happening in the world at that point, but something was going on that really made me realize that there are other stories that I want to tell and other ways that I want to tell them rather than through TV news, which is a Mm. great medium. just wasn't for me anymore, and I felt really, really lost. And then Anthony Bourdain died, which to me was devastating because he was the reason I wanted to be a journalist Mm. in the first place. Tough. Yeah. Tough. And then I, um, it was, it was really weird. I went to like put flowers on the restaurant that he worked at. And that day, like right after I put down the flowers, I got an internship at an NGO and like, it was like, ah, I felt like a sign. I'm glad I was lost though. Like if I, if I had pretended like I wasn't lost, that I was like still on track with my 10-year plan and everything was going well, I'd be a lot less happy than I am right now. Like, I needed to lose myself to find that new version of myself. One aspect of feeling lost that Esther really touches on in her story is mental health. Fonzo, do you think that people in our generation or Esther's generation are actually more open to talking about mental health or are we just kind of scratching the surface? I I think... I think it's like a double-edged sword. I do think that uh, it mental health awareness is definitely out there on social media and people um, uh, do address it. Um, I just—I I think it's, it's, it's subjective, like, you know what I'm saying? When you do have your diagnosis and your mental health issues, I feel like only you can, even if you— even if we're on social media, even if uh, it's aware and people are aware, it's like still ultimately you're battling something you deal with. Sure, um, people acknowledging that is amazing. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? We should acknowledge that, you know, people are certain ways and people need help with that. And But ultimately is this journey is lifelong. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Once you have been diagnosed, it's like this is is something you deal with. This is the way you are. This is the way I am. And it's like awareness and acceptance. Acceptance, yeah. And uh, as someone who has been diagnosed and— has had the question marks of and the exclamation marks of like, oh, I'm I am uh, you know bipolar and uh, having reasons having reasons for why things um, are happening and what's going on is good, but it's also like wow, like someone just dropped like a big weight on you, like wow, and 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 I have to adjust. Um, I really want to thank you for sharing that. I think it's so important for us to really dive into how listening to other people's stories can help us and can bring us some clarity about our own lives or we can connect to it. So how, you know, how did you connect to Esther's story, if if at all? 
Yeah, of course. Well, I, you're thank, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we do at the mall. We share. Yeah. Um, I resonated uh with her story um in a way that, that like you know just being diagnosed. I really felt like you know I was in you know that office. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And uh. When your circumstances change and you have no choice in that because it is who you are or like mm. in your in your build of your human self is <laughs> is kind of you know frustrating but you know later on beautiful but you know gets turned upside down so that's what I resonate with. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so important that we don't like glorify or glamorize mental health. Like it is beautiful to talk about it, but. Not everybody has to talk about it. Not everybody has the privilege or the tools or the perspective to speak on something or the want to speak on something, and that's also so valid. Yeah, I'm, I'm, obviously, it's it's healthy to speak about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't have to, but I feel like just with me, my confidant is my other half, you know, my mm-hmm. girlfriend and my friends around me, but I don't always want to share what's mm-hmm. going on, and you shouldn't need to, but it's always just nice to have that option and just always know that you can. You know what I'm saying? I'm so glad that we started with Esther's story because sometimes losing and finding things isn't always tangible. Like, it is an internal journey. But other times it really is tangible. Like, we lose stuff and we have to find them. And um, that's why I'm really excited about this next story. We get into the tangible search and rescue. Uh, and up next is Wilson Portorayal. All right, so as a kid, I've always wanted a dog. Who doesn't want a man's best friend? Come on. So I didn't just want any dog. I wanted a big dog for a little kid. I wanted a, I feel like a macho man. I wanted a caviar Rottweiler or a Husky. You know, I, I wanted a, a protection, basically. I wanted some protection. And I've always asked my mom, 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 can, can we have a dog? I want to have a dog. Can, please, can we have a dog? No, I'm sorry, we can't have a dog. A dog is a lot of responsibility. But come on, I'm going to train it. I'm going to teach you how to stay, how to, how to follow me, how to fetch. I'm going to give it treats. He's going to be, like, I'm going to, that's going to be me. That's my responsibility. And she goes, no, because it's too much work. And on top of that, we live in, in an apartment. So, all right, fall back. So, <laughs> so last year, I arrived home from school and... Exhausted, take off my, my shoes, I put it to the side, and I see this little fur ball come up to my, my socks and starts nibbling my socks. And I just feel the little teeth, sharp, like little sharp teeth going to my toes, and it tickled, but it, it hurt it at the same time. It was like little pinches. <laughs> but I couldn't get mad at the fact that this was a dog right next beside me. So the excitement, I didn't really feel as much pain. And, and I looked at him. And I remember seeing the nice little chocolate coloring, like a caramel color with some white whipped cream. Just picture that combination together. He was a lovely dog. We named him Hershey. We named him Hershey. So Hershey, I was given to, he was given to me about two months. And I did everything I said I was going to do. I trained him. He learned how to follow me. He learned how to fetch. He learned how to stay. And he was just the best dog to me. So I'm just saying that because he's the only dog he's, that I've had. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, one day I take him outside to my front building and, you know, I'm like, you know what, today I'm going to teach him how to follow me without the leash. So that's, that's a challenge. That's cool. I see a lot of people do that. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to do that to them because that's the trick of the day. And, you know, 
I'm growing this bond with him, and I'm, I'm believing and trusting him. That's my pal. He will never leave this building when the door opens. Now, at this time of the, uh, um, he's like about five to six months, and that door opened, and he dashed out of, of the building. He just ran out, excited. Now I'm in uniform, in shoes, and I'm running down the block chasing this dog. Now, you do not see that every day. Mind you, I'm chasing a little dog, <laughs> half Shih Tzu, half Maltese. <laughs> yeah, so I'm chasing the dog, and I'm running, and, I, and I'm like, no, I'm gonna get this dog, and, I, and I'm catching up to him in the sidewalk, and I run beside him, and I'm catching up, and his hair's flying back. He was like a little, like a lion, a miniature lion. Just... <laughs> and he's, his, his tongue is rolling out his mouth. He looked like a fruit roll-up tongue. <laughs> He's just excited, freedom at last. And so he's running. Now, mind you, he runs into the street now. And this is the Grand Concourse. Now, if you've been to the Grand Concourse, you would know that this is like a mini highway. Hell breaks loose. Anything could happen in, in the Grand Concourse. Now, in the Grand Concourse, I felt like, you know what? This is my responsibility. I sell them to take care of him. Now I have to go and take this risk. And I charged for him. I ran outside into the streets, and I'm chasing this dog. Now, mind you, I felt like a superhero. I had to get through any car, any bus that was passing through, and I felt like Captain America. I ran through all these cars, and I'm, no, you're gonna stop. I'm on a mission right now to save the dog. Mission of the day, get this accomplished. Now, the bus driver sees that I'm chasing this little dog, and he's like, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, yeah, go get him, get him. Yeah, get him. And I'm, oh, thank you. Now, things are getting a little hectic because he runs into the middle, middle of the street, more centered, where all these cars are coming up, now you have vans, cars, trucks, buses, all coming in from one side, and he just shocks, and everything gets hectic faster, they're coming, and now you see the, the honks of the, of the cars, and you can hear the tunes of the buzzing. And it was too late. For death, because I grabbed my dog, and I lifted him up into the sky like if he was Simba. That was not gonna take my dog today, no. So I'm lifting him up into the sky because he was Simba. And I'm just, I, I bring him to my, to my chest and I have this heart to heart, chest to chest connection. And he's just shivering on me and I go, no, you little dog. I'm scolding him like, no, now next time, I, like you see a child, you will hold his hand. So you're causing, I'm gonna keep you on the leash. You are not going nowhere. And so I walked off with the dog and the bus driver gets me the thumbs up. He goes, yeah. And I walked out of there feeling victorious. Thank you. That was Wilson Portorayal. He said his younger self would describe him as a funny, selfless, inspirational, cool bearded guy. Want to see a cute photo of Hershey? Well, check out themoth.org slash grown we can't promise more cute pics of dogs, but there'll be information about our storytellers, fun extras, and ways to get in touch. From time to time, everyone, no matter who they are, feels a little lost. So we decided to go out and hear from people about how they found themselves. Here's David Leppelstadt, who you just might remember from the story about his subway romance in our first episode. Just as a heads up, one of the interviews includes a mention of sexual assault. If you're sensitive to that, you might want to skip this one. Hello, this is David, and today for the Search and Rescue episode, I'm actually here at the Chelsea Flea Market, a place where people buy lost items and, in doing so, find them. Um, have you ever in your life lost an item that was important to you? 
and then found it? Um, for me, probably every day of my life, I lose my car keys. Um, and I normally call her five seconds afterwards, panicking. And then she's like, Victoria, just calm down. And then as soon as I calm down, find it right away. And as soon as, as, soon as you find it, you know, you just have that wave of relief. So Amazing. So having a friend like Emma as a grounding presence can help you find, be, be found. And, and is this true, Emma? You can confirm that you're this friend who answers the phones like, it's okay, take some deep breaths. We're going to find those keys. Yeah, she freaks out very quickly, so I have to do that for her. Can it be like an abstract answer? We would love nothing more than an abstract answer. <laughs> uh, my boyfriend and I broke up for three months, and then we got back together. So, in wow. that kind of way, <laughs> yeah, that's my answer to your question. That's a great answer of the, of the lost and found. Um, and was there something that like allowed this feeling of loss to be found in this relationship? Um, I think just the time apart really helped us both kind of figure out what we needed from each other. Wow, that's amazing. I, I, really, I really love the direction you took this question. This is what we want. This is what we're out here to get. Oh my gosh, and we are here recording and I, at this flea market and I just found a pair of shoes. Let's just see if they're my size. They are size 14 and I'm a size 13. Maybe it could be something. 13 US. Okay, wow. Okay, maybe we'll check those out later. Okay, we're going we're gonna to go to the next question. We're going to make it a little more interesting here. Um, is there a time when you yourself, as a person, have felt lost? It could be physically, emotionally. Have you ever felt lost in your life? Um, for me, it was probably my sophomore year of college going into my junior year. Um, during my sophomore year, like this, this is going to get really depressing, um, I was sexually assaulted, actually, by somebody who I considered like a really close friend. Um, and it kind of like put me like in the darkest place I've ever been like I ended up going to therapy for it I ended up like going to a psychiatrist. They put me on Medicaid. It was like a whole thing But then like to get out of it. I just like I started realizing I'm just like I'm giving him too much power I'm giving the, this person too much power over me and then on top of that like I stopped reaching out to my friends I stopped talking to them, but then it's just like once again Emma's my savior and she always brings me out of the darkness and always shows me the light, so. That, that's so beautiful and thank you so much for sharing that with us and, and showing us like how relying on the people you love and finding our strength can, can be this way of... It's very empowering, honestly it's very empowering to like have people around who actually love and care for you and no matter what you do, like they're still gonna be there for you, it just means everything in the world. I really want to thank you so much for talking with me. This is like really a special conversation and it was really great to meet both of you. And this friendship you have is really beautiful though. Friends for since kindergarten. Yes. And we are now 23. Wow. So it's been a while. It's been a ride. It's, it's been a long ride. But like, honestly, I wouldn't think I wouldn't have anybody else as my best friend. It's amazing how every single person you pass on the street has their own story to tell. And in our next episode, we'll hear more of them. What's our theme, Fonzo? Next, we're getting musical, with stories all about how concerts and bands and songs can change your life. Here's a little clip. When I listen to them, all of a sudden I feel like I'm big and like I'm powerful and like nothing can touch me when I'm walking down the street, which is really not something I feel at this, like ever at this point in my life. If you're liking the pod, we would love for you to share it with a friend, whether that's actually in person or on Instagram, TikTok, whatever you're using these days. And if you do share on social media, tag us. We're at GrownPod. And remember, no matter how old you are, you're never fully grown. Alfonso Lucayo is a Moth alumni from the Bronx, New York. 
He's passionate, creative, and makes music. And if he's not hosting this podcast, you can find him putting essential oils in his hair. Aliza Cosme is a multimedia storyteller, passionate about using the power of storytelling for the social good. If she wasn't hosting this podcast and had no student loan debt, she'd own the best restaurant in Queens with the best risotto you've ever had. Grown's senior editor is Sarah Jane Johnson, and Grown's senior producer is Mark Solinger. That's me. With support from the Moss education and artistic teams, as well as our executive producer, Sarah Austin Janess. Esther Massey's story was directed by Michelle Jalowski with additional coaching by Hannah Allen and Diavion Walters. Wilson Portorial's story was directed by Catherine McCarthy with additional coaching by Nora Revenant. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the work of the Moss education team, Melissa Brown, Anna Stern, and Devin Elise Wilson, as well as our instructors past and present. Mixing is by Davey Sumner with original music and sound design by Davey Sumner and Luke Williams. We're grateful to former producer Julia Purcell, intern K.A. Carter, our teen focus group, and everyone who was kind enough to send us audio for our montages. The rest of the Moss leadership team includes Sarah Haberman, Catherine Burns, Jennifer Hickson, Meg Bowles, Kate Tellers, Jennifer Birmingham, Marina Cloutier, Suzanne Rust, Brandon Grant, Leanne Gully, Inga Gladowski, and Aldi Kaza. All Moss stories are true, as remembered and affirmed by the storytellers. Grown is presented by PRX. Ever wonder why we want to tell complete strangers our personal secrets? Or what a CIA spy can teach you about keeping things close to the chest? Read about this and see other fascinating articles on secrets in Grown's Pocket Collection. Pocket is a website and app that finds the most thought-provoking articles from trusted sources all around the internet and puts them in one place. With Pocket, you can keep and find new articles to read, save articles for later, and even have your saved articles read aloud to you. If you want to dig deeper into this secret-worthy episode of Grown, head over to Pocket and check out our collection at getpocket.com grown.